Okay, we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. And we're going to look at a subject today. It goes in line with what Paul is talking about here. But it's his talking and dealing with an issue in their church. But it's a relevant issue for you and I, and it's the issue of forgiveness. And it's the issue of you forgiving, or I forgiving, or as Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to forgive, someone who has caused an offense. Someone who has done something wrong. And how do we handle that situation? Because there are usually two extremes, and I guess they're really illustrated by the Corinthian believers. One extreme is to just kind of ignore it, hope it goes away. Maybe by love they'll overcome it. And some people do that. I mean, if you known people who do that. If, even though there's sin, we'll just kind of bite our tongue for a while and and hopes that maybe God will work in their heart and they'll just overcome it on their own. How many of you have seen that? That is not a biblical response. In fact, if you remember from the first letter in 1 Corinthians, that's what they did with an immoral brother in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and basically said, you know, that they were spiritual because they could tolerate this one in their midst who was having an affair with his dad's wife. That would obviously be his stepmother. And so Paul rebuked them and told them that you have to deal with sin in your midst because sin is like a cancer, it spreads. So that's the one extreme. The other extreme is concerning the person who's in sin is to just flat out ostracize them. Not have anything to do with them anymore. And usually in a church, and usually with Christians, we swing from one side to the other. We swing either to where we tolerate and don't do anything, to where we overreact. It's like uh, going after a cockroach with a shotgun. You know, I I mean, that's just the, the mentality that we have in our churches today. Now, Paul is going to discuss this issue because now, rather than them being on the extreme where... They are tolerating it. They've now reacted to the other extreme with another individual. And so he's going to address that issue here. And that's what we're going to look at today is the issue of forgiveness for the offender. So I want you to notice chapter 2. And we're going to look at uh, verses 3 through 11 today. First of all, I want you to notice with me verse 3 and 4. He's going to talk about a prior letter. He's going to bring up the point about a prior letter. And I wrote this thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, that you should be, that you should, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know Love that I have so abundantly for you. So let's talk about his prior letter for a moment. First of all, let me just say this. The prior letter that he is speaking about is not the one that you know of as 1 Corinthians. It is not the one that we have in the canon of Scripture. The prior letter that he is speaking of here is a letter that he wrote somewhere between 1 Corinthians and this letter, 2 Corinthians. So it's a letter that has been lost to us but it's a letter in which he addressed some issues. And so what he's going to do is, is he's going to remind them that he brought this point out in his prior letter, the issue of forgiveness. 
He's going to say, guys, I'm going to talk about something right now that I mentioned to you, I addressed to you in the last letter I wrote to you. The issue of forgiveness. And it's something that you needed to be reminded of. And he talks then about the purpose. The purpose of the letter was to serve as a means of bringing loving correction. See, Paul, when he writes, he's writing as a loving father, and as he's addressing the issue of forgiveness, he wants them to understand that his purpose isn't to drop the hammer on them. His purpose isn't to just squash them, to make them feel so terrible about themselves. He's basically bringing this issue up because he wants to correct them, lovingly correct them, that is, guide them as a loving father would do, is to guide and discipline their children so that they are molded into everything they can be and should be in Jesus Christ. And so he's bringing that point out here that he needs to remind them of something he's already talked about. Let's just stop. There's a good point here. When it comes to the issue of forgiveness, is it something that we need to be reminded of often? Is it something that we should take for granted, whether it's our understanding of our forgiveness or the understanding of our forgiving others. Is that something we need to be reminded of? Everybody said yes. Why do you think we need to be reminded of it? Okay, our tendency, Ken says, is to hold a grudge. We're human. All right, anybody else? Why do you think we need to be reminded about forgiveness? It's not natural. Everybody hear what Rod said? It's not natural. Anybody else? Why do you think? Yeah, sometimes, do you hear what Mike said? Sometimes we say we forgive, but in our minds the offense is still there and we still hold on to the grudge. And Mike, I would even take it one step further with what you said. And that is, we know as Christians we are to forgive. So we might lip forgiveness, but not really forgive. Do you know what I mean by that? We might express, I forgive you, because we know that as a Christian I'm supposed to. Yeah, in our hearts, we still want to get even. You're right, Ken. Yeah, you're right. So, we might give lip service to forgiveness, but in reality, we're not. In fact, that's a good point because we're going to look at a group of people that that's exactly what they did. They gave lip service to forgiveness, but when it came to their actions towards the individual who offended, they were not forgiving at all. And Paul brings that point out. Paul brings that point out. I think actually this... This section of verses is actually a great counterbalance to his talking about church discipline earlier. So we've got to keep everything in perspective, everything in balance. We need to exercise church discipline. Don't get me wrong. We need to. Somebody's doing wrong and they're not willing to repent. They need to be dealt with because it's going to affect the whole body. The whole body. Now, so let's look. Actually, let me just stop for a while. I've got to explain something to you. Sometimes... You know, one of the hardest positions in a church is to be a pastor or on a ruling board. Because to the pastor and the ruling board has been given the responsibility to guard the purity of the church. Does everybody understand? And when you guard the purity of the church, if you're dealing with individuals who are in sin or who are continuing to sin and who are not going to repent or change their behavior or, or it doesn't really matter, they're just going to keep doing it, the scripture gives very clear guidelines to the pastor and the ruling board how they must respond in that situation. And so discipline must take place. It's not that they're being mean. It's not that they're being heavy. 
is that ultimately, according to the Bible, they have to answer to God for whether or not they kept purity in the church and dealt with things. And remember, they're also told how to go about it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says that they are to deal with the sinner in meekness and in love, recognizing that in the same circumstances, it could be them. But the issue has to be dealt with. But then, now what we're going to see in this passage is, what about if the person does repent? How do we respond to him? And that's what we're going to talk about today, is the issue of forgiveness. So let's look at the impact of the injury. First of all, verse 5 is going to discuss with us the injury and the impact of it. If anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be severe. So here's what he's saying. Paul points out that the offender hurt should be not only, not there's a T missing there, not only the apostle, but the whole church. See, this gentleman that they're going to talk about obviously did something as far as sin against the Apostle Paul. He sinned against the Apostle Paul in some way. And so Paul is saying to him, look, this gentleman and what he did was not just against me, but against all of you, the church as a whole. See, let me just stop for a moment. Your sin is not a private sin. So let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about. Let's say Sue here has a grudge against Joanne. They get irritated about something. And they start to squabble it amongst themselves. And so Sue holds a grudge against Joanne. Joanne's trying to do what she can to get back at Sue. Now, I picked those two ladies because I know that's not going to happen. But it's just an illustration. That's not just their sin. Their sin actually affects who? All of us. Every single one of us. You you say, well, yeah, I recognize that it would affect those who might take Sue or Joanne's side. Yes, it would affect them. But it's not just going to affect them. It's going to affect everyone in the church because what happens is it brings disharmony to the whole body. It becomes an issue for the whole church then. It's not just a question of an offense between the two of them. It now becomes a question of an impact that is affecting the entire body of believers. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He's talking about that it's not just affecting him, but rather it's affecting the whole body. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Some scholars feel that the offender is believed to be the one who is addressed in 2 Corinthians 5. The one who was having the incestuous relationship with his stepmother. That's probably not very likely to be true. And I'll tell you why. Number one, Paul called for his excommunication. Paul called for him to be cast out of the assembly and to be shunned. Number two, the offense here does not seem to be a matter of immorality. As we get through the letter, what we're going to see is the offense here has something to do with it is of a personal attack or whatever on the apostle. So this passage here is not talking about the guy over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is something completely different. So then verse 6 tells us what the punishment is. Look at verse 6. The punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. First thing I want you to notice is this. The offender was disciplined by the church as a whole. 
you know, we are congregationalists, and we, we see that in the scripture. And the issue of church discipline is not just something that needs to be instituted by the leaders of the church. It is something that needs to be instituted by the church as a whole. The church as a whole needs to make the decision that if a brother is not doing right, or a sister is not doing right, and if they refuse to deal with it in their life, according to the Scripture, we have an obligation to discipline them. That is, to deal with them in appropriate ways, whatever the appropriate way might be. So this individual was disciplined by the church as a whole. And the next point I want you to see is, is that Paul saw the punishment as appropriate. Paul saw that the punishment that was to take place with regards to this individual by the congregation was appropriate. Was appropriate. Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17, gives us a pattern of discipline in the church. And this, you know, I find it very interesting because we know that this is here, but most of us don't practice that. So I'll tell you what I, what I, let me read it to you first and let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. If he will not hear, take with you one or two or more, and by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. If he refuses even to hear the church, then let him be like a heathen or a tax collector. That is, let him be like an unbeliever, an unsaved person. Now, Matthew 18 is very clear in how you and I are to handle issues like this, is it not? But can I be honest with you? Most Christians don't even recognize that. They'll know, oh yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. But what they'll do is things like this. They'll come to a pastor or a leader in the church and say, Let's say Gary comes to me. He'll say, George, you need to do something about that Tom Olosky guy. He's, uh, I don't know what his deal is, but he's just causing all kinds of problems. The way he's treating people and everything, you need to do something about him. Do something about that Tom Olosky guy. You and the board need to do something about him. Now, let me ask you a question. Is what Gary, is Gary's response? action towards me coming to me about Tom, is it right or wrong? Let's say, okay, let's say it could be right or wrong. Let's talk about why it's wrong, first of all. Why is it wrong? Okay, he should go to Tom first and talk to Tom about it. And he should go to Tom and try to talk to Tom and say, Tom, you know what? The way you're treating people is not right. You need to deal with that. You need to overcome that and so forth. And let's deal with it. Now, let's say Tom doesn't respond. What's Gary's response then? Should he come talk to me then? Or the board then? No. What's the next step in Matthew 18? Yeah, take a couple of other people with him. So maybe he then gets, he takes Bruce or, you know, or someone else and he goes and talks to Tom then. And and they say, Tom, you know, we've been noticing this in your life and we really need to think you need to adjust this in your life. And if Tom responds well, and he repents of it. Wonderful. Is that a church issue now? Is that a church issue? No. At what point then does it come to the board or the pastor? 
Yeah, he's the next step. If he doesn't respond to those brothers, then it comes to the board. See, what we try to do, though, in our churches, though, we want to circumvent the first two steps. Well, that's George's job. He gets paid to do that. Let me ask you something. I know I had you call me George, but the fact of the matter is I can't remove myself from my position. I'm the pastor. So Gary comes to me and he tells me about that. And so if I am not smart enough and I don't follow Matthew 18 and tell Gary, well, maybe you should go talk to him, but then I take matters in my own hands and I go over to Tom and say, Tom, look, man, you realize you're being rude. People are upset. How's he going to take me? First of all, recognizing who I am, I'm not coming to him just as George the friend. I'm coming, I'm always going to be who? Pastor. What's Tom's natural reaction going to be? Get defensive. Or let's say, we'll do this. Tom, uh, the board would like to meet with you. <laughs> yeah, okay. See you later. <laughs> See, do you understand why Jesus I mean, when you think about Jesus' thinking and, and, and the reason why he did that. See, when you bring it, the bigger the circle of people who know about the incident, that's why it starts off with just one. If it's dealt with there, it doesn't get any further. Then you take two or three. You notice he didn't say take 15. But then when you take it to the church level, where the whole congregation knows, you understand, it becomes more desperate with each situation. And then ultimately, if he doesn't respond, then you're treating him like an unbeliever. You're to treat him like he doesn't belong in the fellowship. See, the point is, is that discipline has a reason. So, I'm going to be honest with you. If you're going to come to me, I'm thankful nobody has done that here. And tell me, well, you know, you need to really go over there and talk to so-and-so because they've really done something to hurt my feelings. Well, you know what? You need to talk to that individual. You need to go to them and say to them, why? Because if you harbor it, but let me explain something. Chances are that if, you, if you're coming to me, you're also talking to other people. Correct? Chances are if you're talking to me and wanting me to do something, you're talking about it to other people. Except the person who, quote, offended you. And it's really between you and them, first of all, isn't it? See, that's what Jesus is pointing out here. So, why am I bringing this point up? Because Paul saw the punishment as appropriate because obviously they went through the process and they dealt with the individual appropriately. Now, let me just explain something. If you're a member here, you need to break out your constitution and recognize that our constitution flat out has a pattern of discipline in our church. And it's based on Matthew 18. And it says very clearly that if any point along the way the person repents... The process ends. We need to be biblical in our approach, don't we? Notice now, look at verse 7 through 8, a call to forgiveness. So they dealt with this individual. Paul says this in verse 7. So that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. So they obviously... Exercise church discipline. Paul saw that as appropriate. But now Paul tells them that they need to be forgiving. And what he wants them to understand is, is that they need to be acceptant of this person. Why? The man had repented. See, all discipline is not punishment. I want you to understand that. The purpose of discipline in the church is not punishment. 
Does everybody understand? I'm going to say that again. The purpose of any discipline in the church is not punishment, but restoration. The purpose of discipline in the church is restoration. When we exercise discipline, it is not for the reason of getting even with the guy who did what they did. If that's true, then we're in trouble. Because we don't have a leg to stand on because all of us are judged. Do you understand? The purpose for all church discipline is not punishment, but to what? Bring the person to restoration. Restoration to what? Restoration to their relationship with God. Restoration to their relationship with the church family. But this individual repented. That is, he acknowledged his sin and he turned from it. But here's the problem. The church still held the offense against the man. Here's this individual. He's done something to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says that his actions, which basically what he's talking about here is he's questioning the authority of the Apostle Paul. So when he's questioning the authority of the Apostle Paul, that obviously affected the entire church because he's basically questioning the spiritual leadership of the church. So they dealt with this individual. This individual repented, but now what the church did was to still hold the grudge. Still hold the offense against the person. Even though the person obviously was sorrowful over their sin, obviously repented over their sin, they still held a grudge. They still held the offense against them. So here's what the Apostle Paul does in this verse. Paul tells them to forgive the repentant offender. Paul tells them to forgive. The guy is obviously broken over it. The guy obviously acknowledges that he's done wrong. He says he's not going to do it again. He says that he has sinned against the church. He's sinned against the Apostle Paul. He is being repentant. Quit holding the grudge. Forgive the guy, is what Paul's saying to them. Quit holding the grudge and forgive the guy. You see the extreme now they've gone to? They've swung to the other side now. And I kind of understand why. I want you to think about the progression of it. Just a few letters before in 1 Corinthians... They had a guy in their midst who's committing incest with his stepmom. And they were tolerating that. And Paul comes in, drops the hammer on them and says, Guys, you need to deal with this. You can't let this kind of thing go on. This kind of stuff isn't even named among unbelievers. Unbelieving people don't do that kind of thing. You need to deal with this. So they're like, oh, okay, wow, we've got to deal with sin. So now they come to a guy. He's not committing incest. He just questions somebody's authority. He mocks the Apostle Paul or something. And they're like, okay, remember, we're supposed to deal with sin. Boom! Dropped a big hammer on him. They swung to the other extreme. They swung to the other extreme. And Paul tells them, look, forgive that guy. Forgive. Now, let me just stop. If you were the Corinthians and you had the first letter and you had this second letter, would your head be spinning? (laughs) You'd say nothing makes them happy, okay? You see, why do you think we would be thinking that way? Because we, we gravitate to extremes. We gravitate to extremes. It's either one side of the ditch or the other side. We, we don't find the balance. And Paul's talking about a balance here. Yes, you need to discipline, but you also, when people are repentant, you need to be what? Forgiven. Forgiving to that person. And so, here, notice what he says. And this is an interesting point. I want you to soak in what he's saying here. In fact, let me read it to you and then I'll give you the point. Lest perhaps 
Last part of verse 7. Lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Their lack of forgiveness would hurt the repentant offender. Would you just let that soak in for a moment? Paul's saying that by not forgiving, you're actually hurting the one who hurt you. Who well, isn't that the point? From a human standpoint, yeah. Remember what Rod said, it's not natural, is it? Remember what Ken said. Ken said, want to get even. So if you've got an individual who is repentant, and let me explain something. He's already feeling sorrow. He's already dealing with the, the issues of what has happened. Paul says you need to forgive lest what? You add to his sorrow. He's already experienced the sorrow of the offense. He's already experienced the sorrow of the broken relationship. He's already experienced the sorrow of what has taken place. By you not forgiving, you're hurting him even more. I will even go so far as to say this. You're sinning against him. What do you mean sinning against him? What did Jesus say? Forgive as what? As you have been forgiven. I don't like that word, do you? Two letters, powerful little phrase, as. But when we don't forgive, especially when that person is repentant, that person is expressing that, we are hurting. So again, let me remind you, the point of all discipline is restoration. The point of all discipline is not to give even, is not vengeance, because there's only one who gives vengeance. That's God. The point of all discipline is what? Restoration. See, that's what Paul's saying. Guys, guys, the point he's saying to the Corinthians is, the reason why you disciplined him is not to punish him, but to restore him. So now that he's coming clean, now that he's repenting, now that he wants to restore his relationship with Jesus, you're missing the point. Because you're out to punish him. But what you should be doing is bring him to the point where he is what? Growing in his relationship again with Jesus. You know back in 1987, 1988, Jimmy Swagger fell. Everybody remember that? On the 10th anniversary of that, 1997, 1998, there was an article that appeared in Christianity Today where one of the writers went to visit Jimmy Swagger. Sat in his service and then was able to have lunch with him afterwards. And he talked about 10 years later. It was an interesting article. But what I want to focus on is the closing comment that this writer made, which I thought was excellent. He said this, Why do we hate Jimmy Swagger? Why do we hate him? This is what he said. Because Jimmy Swagger reveals the darkness that's in all of us that we really hate. And so we just lash out at him. See, Paul's saying, and saying he wants to get us back into the framework of understanding that the point of discipline is what? Restoration. But the human tendency is we want to get even. Look at verse 8 now. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. What's Paul doing here? Paul tells them to reaffirm their love and their acceptance of this individual. Reaffirm love. Reaffirm that you accept them. You, now, what that means is that you don't go and say, oh, oh, we love you and we really don't care what you did. No, you did care what they did. But you're saying to them, look, we love you. We don't care for what you did. What you did was wrong, but we want you to understand that we love you. I do the same thing with my children. Hopefully you do the same thing with them. 
Mommy and daddy don't care for your behavior. Your behavior is wrong, but we want you to understand, we will always love and accept you. And so that's what Paul's doing here. And then verse 9, he actually makes it a test of obedience. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. So here's what Paul said. Paul wrote to them to test their obedience to this issue of forgiveness. Ooh. Paul is making my forgiveness of a repentant person a test of obedience. He's making it a test of my obedience to this issue of forgiveness. Oh, no, now the shoe's on the other foot, isn't it? Now the shoe is on the other foot. And then notice what he says. He says this. Forgiveness is not an option. Forgiveness is not an option, but an issue of obedience. Forgiveness is not an option, but an issue of obedience. It's not an option for you just to say, I'm not going to forgive him. He's hurt all of us. We're not going to, we're not going to forgive him. It's not an option. You have to forgive. You have to forgive. So then I want you to notice now verse 10 through 11. We'll end up here. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For I, if I indeed have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Two things. Number one, mutual forgiveness. Paul stresses that whoever they forgive, he forgives. So here's what that means. Rubber meets the road. Let's go back to our illustration about the, the tiff and the fight and the argument between Joanne and Sue. It's getting pretty hot and heavy. But then they break. They forgive each other. And as they forgive each other, I forgive them. But isn't that not what we do? Because Sue tells Art, Art gets upset now with Joanne. Joanne tells Rod, Rod gets upset. Rod then tells Debbie and Bruce, and they're they're taking offense, and you know, and, and Sue tells Louise over here, and and uh, and 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 tells everybody, and we got basically you got one side over here, one side over here. Now they make up. Everybody else is still mad. Isn't that how it happens? Paul says, "Look, you forgive him, I forgive him." Is that not the attitude we should adopt? Look, some of you are irritated with people, and they didn't even do anything to you. Hello, get a life. Do you know what I mean? So he's saying, whoever they forgive, he forgives. But then he brings up, why? Why do we need to do this? Look at verse 11. Satan will use the lack of forgiveness for his purposes against the church. You know what you do when you do this kind of thing? When you're holding a grudge against someone else and you're, and you're, and you've got those attitudes and you're not expressing that forgiveness? You're just slipping right into the hand of Satan and he's going to do what he does. Because look, even if they do make up and everybody's mad, oh, I'm mad at these people because they took Joanne's side and I'm mad at these folks over here because they took Sue's side, who do you think benefits? Satan. That's who benefits. We fall right into the hand of Satan. When we, forget, when we do not show forgiveness to the people who are repentant in our life, you're giving him a foothold, whether it's in your marriages, whether it's in your families, whether it's in the church. And, and you know what Paul says? We know his devices. It's not like something we are not aware of. It's not like something that 
Oh, my, I didn't realize that he did this kind of thing. Oh, yeah, it's the kind of thing that he uses, isn't it? It's the kind of thing he uses. And so he says we need to forgive. Okay, wow, what a lesson. Next week we're going to talk about Paul's feelings towards others. Let's close our time and get ready for the morning worship time.